that was all Sauron's problem was the home away splits. <laughs> views and overreactions to all things NFL. The Chargers have been set free from Brandon Staley. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Sean. Hello. And we got Fitz. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all up in Cavan, Fitz? Ah, not too bad. Yeah, it's mostly just getting used to being uh, the peace and quiet coming up to Christmas now. Looking forward to all that shenanigans. How about yourself, Sean? Yeah, quiet enough. I think we got most of the Christmas stuff done. We thought we'd found a new beach, secret beach for the dog, but it turns out to just have been the same beach as last time, just from the different a different end. Well, it's kind a of a, a secret beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's a harder beach to get to. It was not quite the same. It's not like a walkway. We're going to have to climb over stuff to get there. So but, uh, Yeah, this thing about Waterford is loads of these random beaches because it's got like three rivers and an actual coastline as well. So there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Very good. Nothing too wild or crazy up this way, poor doggy here got a, a cut in his arm. Uh, so after I finished up recording last week, I found that he had actually cut his arm open when he was out at daycare. So I had to take him down to the overnight vets and he had to get himself stapled back together. So he's been a bit unhappy for the last little while about not being able to run around. Hopefully now he's going in to see our vet on Thursday. He might be able to get them out and be in good form for Christmas. He's definitely bounced back now. He's in much better form than he was the first couple of days. So I think he's probably ready for them to come out. But other than that, nothing too crazy. He met a couple of the boys for the football on Sunday and just in wrap down mode in work heading off to, to Donegal now on Friday so that'll be nice to get up and see the family and everything yeah I suppose you should probably hop in and start digging in through some of the stuff big news is at the top there the Chargers have finally been set free from Brandon Staley we've been complaining about him for quite some time on this podcast so both him the head coach and GM Tom Telesco have been fired following a 63-21 to loss to Las Vegas yeah so they are eliminated from the playoffs this year effectively and you know they've already got Herbert gone off to IR with the finger injury it's just not been a good run with Staley at all so you know defensive minded head coach who has pretty consistently had poor defenses has made multiple bad decisions was initially a bit of a darling for the analytics heads because he would go for it on fourth down but then he just turned out he just liked gambling that he he didn't do it when it was just the correct decision he just did it all the time played his players in pointless games that got them injured that then led to them getting bounced out of the playoffs in the wild card round against Jacksonville last year it was just just messy Telesco the GM's been there for 10 years now and like this is the concern I said in the preseason primer on, on, on these guys. I said like the roster doesn't make very much sense to me because they've got their young quarterback who's now going to have to start getting paid properly. They don't have youth on the roster. A lot of the guys are aging out like their top receiver is Keenan Allen. A lot of their defensive places are, are older and aging and it, it's not really a well-designed roster for building around the strengths that they have. So in the interim they've named linebackers coach Griff Smith as the head coach and director of player personnel Jojo Wooden as the interim general manager. Realistically, there's not enough time left in the season, nor kind of talent sitting on the roster, particularly with the injuries, to properly assess these guys. So I imagine they, they're not going to get a full shakeout for whether or not they'll be able to keep the job afterwards. Yeah, it, it's a bad look, it's a, but it kind of feels like a necessary move in, in for them because like it, it's a weird one to say that like you have a game where your team is down 42 to nothing and probably the fans who are down 42 to nothing are happy because they feel, well, this has to be the nail in the coffin to get rid of this head coach who's just been a weight around the neck of this franchise for the last couple of years. 
don't think anyone could be too surprised by this, probably least of all Brandon Staley himself. When you have the talent of uh, Justin Herbert and you're, you're a defensive-minded coach, so you're, in theory you're, you should have strengths on both sides of the ball, you've got to deliver. You've got to deliver more than well, I think one, one playoff appearance where they lost a game that's might be up, up by like 20-something points. There's a lot of talent, not just I mean in terms of Herbert, but also the, there's talent on the receivers. There's some talent on the front end of the defense as well, but it just never came together. At no point did he ever look like he was a defensive guru, that their teams seemed to always have huge defensive deficiencies, particularly in the run game. The run defense was like bottom five most years uh, of, of the Staley reign, which is just not good enough. They always flattered to deceive to a certain extent, largely because Herbert could, could kind of play up to the strengths and the, and the offense and score lots of points. Once the push came to shove, the team seemed to fall to pieces. And a part of that's got to do with, I think, the team culture and the willingness to fight to the end. And, and Staley has to take the blame for not being able to you know, instill a winning culture. And the final straw, to, to drop 63 points, for a defensive-minded head coach to drop 63 points to a team that got that were shut out this, the, the week before is i mean it's just unforgivable it's an interesting job and i think you know they if they get someone good it could be a very interesting team because as i said they, ha- they have herbert they have a lot of talent they certainly have with the la situation they maybe don't have a natural fan base but that kind of means there's no institutional memory so the fans maybe are willing to give new guys more of a chance so yeah i think it you know it's an interesting project going forward and certainly more than some of the other head coaching positions that have been lost this year this this one feels like one that people will be going out of the way to be getting the off season for Staley. I mean, you were given the golden ticket and you couldn't you couldn't cash it in, and there's no excuses for that. So he has to go. I feel a little bit bad for him because uh, you know it does feel like a head coach who's going to turn this franchise around will need to be very strong and be able to avoid just the perception of well, chartering for lack of a better term. Like this team has been so cursed for you know two decades now and has an owner that I put him like in the bottom you know five probably of owners. That's always going to be swimming against the tide. But to be fair, Staley did a lot of things which made his own job harder. The fourth down stuff, I think, is fine. You can probably come either way on that. See, going to get picked up on if other things are going wrong. But he was brought in as a defensive coach. He brought in. He was brought in because he was the led the number one overall defense with the Rams before he was hired by the Chargers. And his defense has stunk. It's just stunk to high heaven. His scheme, which was innovative at the time, got figured out. He has seems to just been stuck there. Maybe just because. You know, as a head coach, he has so many other responsibilities he can't, you know, fix and innovate at the same time on the defensive side. But then just the, his own kind of self-inflicted heart. You know, think back to last year when they were entering the playoffs. He was playing starters in a dead rubber game and I think Mike Williams got injured. And then you go into the Jacksonville game, you go up by 20 points and then you end up blowing the lead like that. You know, when that happened, he needed to have a really good season this season and it just has not happened uh, for various different reasons, like the Kellen Moore hire has been, you know, so-so. The defense continues to be bad, and, you know, bad mistakes continue to happen. But if you go all, even go all the way back to that overtime loss against Las Vegas, I believe in his first year, where they missed out in the playoffs, when they just needed to draw the game. They just needed to tie the game. It's just It felt like both teams there were happy to take the draw, and then Staley took the time out. And then the, exactly. <laughs> then the, then the Raiders were like, well, fuck you, then we're going to win. So I think it's just one of those things where, at the key moments, the moments where everyone was watching him, everyone just went, oh, classic chargers he's not the guy to get it done and i think if you're two or three years into your tenure and the thing you're good at defense is still bad then it is gonna be on you as for telesco the last 10 years i'd say has been mixed as a gm in terms of drafting and stuff like that i would say the last few years have been less good there's been a couple of like really big successes obviously herbert being the big one Rashawn slater at the left tackle has been solid derwin james maybe but not enough to kind of justify this roster and this roster has paid a lot of money out to guys like 
Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Joey Bosa and some of them have lived been okay some of them have been well below expectations uh, often due to injuries and it's just left them in a tough position year on year and yeah as you say it's a very aging roster so despite the fact that they have Herbert um, which is obviously a huge head start over many of the other similar teams that be looking for new GMs or new head coaches it's going to be an issue the owner has said money isn't an issue but he's probably said that before you know for a team that I think we'll need a strong hand, like similar to what like uh, Marvin Lewis did with Cincinnati back in the day. I think it's going to be tough to make that happen, but sure, we'll see what what happens. Like any team that has Herbert's going to have some interest, but perhaps given the, the old scenario of this team, it won't be as much interest as you probably should expect for that. Is it weird that they haven't given the interim head coach spot to the offensive coordinator? Kellen Moore is obviously there in as a transplant this year, so it might be a case of trying to increase the continuity there given what they've seen on offense i don't know he's done enough to kind of justify his uh, big mm-hmm. name and so it didn't surprise me that much but if they were planning to have him stay around then yeah it, it that's, that's what i was thinking like that to me would suggest they're maybe not thinking about keeping him i think they're gonna go full blow up we move to controversy corner because this one's this isn't just funny philadelphia decide it's time for a change and name former detroit head coach matt patricia to be their defensive play caller an unusual decision given his most recent role was offensive coordinator for the pats so sean decides going to stay on his defensive coordinator but essentially Patricia's going to be on the sidelines calling the plays it did not go particularly well they lost a game in particular in the two minute drill at the tail end made Drew Locke look like fucking Tom Brady we have been strong on this podcast for a decade now nearly that Matt Patricia should not be in the league and doesn't deserve a job and every single time he's given a shot again he proves us right this is a weird situation, like to keep a defensive coordinator, but to remove his play calling duties and then to hand it over to someone who is just going to bring a lot of negative attention on you, like Matt Patricia, just seems weird. Now this sound, like Sirianibis said, this was my decision, reports that he's thought that Desai wasn't carrying himself with enough confidence, quote unquote. You know, I suppose there is a certain kind of attitude with that team, but Matt Patricia is a blowhard. We know that. He's so up his own hole. And he doesn't seem to have been humbled much at all by his, you know, many, many, many failures over the last five years or so. As Seahawks fan, it is especially sweet to get that victory over the guy who obviously is responsible for one of the biggest defensive plays against the Seahawks of all time. It's just a weird thing to do. Like, the defense has been bad, but it kind of feels like there's been injuries, that there's aging players, and it didn't feel like the play calling was wrong. It seemed like the personnel. Some of the big mistakes that they've made throughout this year, which is kind of playing, like, aging cornerbacks in man, Patricia was willing to do the same thing towards the end of the game. So, if you lose to Drew Locke on your first going as the play caller, it's probably not going to reflect you well on you. And yeah, after losing Jonathan Gannon, it's a bit of a mess there. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens i think one of our uh, friends ian is a philly fan and he's talked about that this might also not just have come from Syriani, but from the uh, gm group from roseman as well so we know that one super bowl winning coach got shoved out due to a bunch of internal politics we obviously now have a super bowl losing coach who might be dealing with internal politics we don't know we'll probably hear about that during reports in the offseason and such but yeah at the moment this is very confusing just a mess. A mess and inexplicable is, is the only word you can think of for me. Patricia having another job in the NFL that he's not qualified for. Crime punishment, what are they doing? Well, this time it should be felonies. Uh, Pittsburgh defensive back Demonte Kazi has been suspended for the rest of the season for player safety violations. If you didn't see it, he had a diving helmet-to-helmet hit on Indianapolis wide receiver Michael Pittman during the week. It was horrendous looking. There is nothing about that tackle that makes any sense other than, ah, oh, I've really got to murder this dude. Amazingly, Pittman was able to walk off the field because genuinely it looked like he could have had a broken neck on that one. It was not good. It's a very 
very strong stance from the league to just come out because I don't think Kazi has... Like, we've got a couple of guys who are out because they have multiple violations. I think this is just a single, very large, egregious one, if I'm right, Fitz. But yeah, like, it's it's a it's a good, strong stance to take on it. It's maybe inconsistent with how they have dealt with these types of hits. Although, like I said, this one was a particularly egregious version. The NFL is taking a stronger stance on this stuff. It's good that they care more about players getting absolutely walloped than, you know, weed, which is what they would have cared about five years ago. And so I think that's progress. I think... This is the kind of suspension which I would not be surprised if he appealed. Then it got brought down to just treat like the regular regular season or something like that, because this will go into the into the playoffs. Yeah, this was an egregious hit. The indications from the report was that they believed he didn't have to tackle that way. He could have done it in a much safer way and achieved the same goal, considering that Pittman was already diving. He wasn't going to get onto his feet again. And yeah, obviously the great the best thing is that Pittman is uh, he's in concussion protocol, but. Given the longer week, the, the hope is he would miss at most one game. But like we, we want to stamp this out of the league. The league is getting harder on this, and it makes a lot of sense, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it makes sense. We had a couple of injuries around the league. So start off at the top. The running back Keaton and offensive lineman Ronnie Stanley are both out at the moment. Keaton has an ACL injury, so he's gone for the season. And Stanley has a concussion, so he's week to week. So that's not great for the Ravens. And Cincinnati defensive lineman DJ Reader has a quad injury. He's gone for the season. DJ Ivy, their defensive back, has torn his ACL and he's gone for the season. And Jamar Chase has an AC joint injury, I believe, because he separated his shoulder or something along those lines. So he's out for one to three weeks so those are pretty serious ones for those teams Keaton Mitchell kind of the latest in the merry-go-round of running backs being used by the Ravens they obviously lost J.K. Dobbins for the season earlier this year Keaton Mitchell probably not the most reliable running back but one who was incredibly explosive he was like I think over 10 yards of carry in his first few games had slowed down a bit recently but now you're basically back on the Gus bus and I think they're going to promote Melvin Gordon to their regular roster so you just lose a big explosive element that they've been getting more used to Ronnie Stanley obviously they'll lose him potentially for a week that's obviously going to affect them in what's a pretty big game uh, coming up in week 16 yeah. uh, for Cincinnati DJ Raider's probably one of those most undervalued kind of ones he's such a player in terms of stopping the run game and which obviously can set up so much more he can like probably one of the best nose tackles in the league well he's kind of more of a, a one tech in, in the Cincinnati scheme he just eats up blocks and he eats up running backs so keep an eye on whether Cincinnati's run defense takes a step back DJ Ivy's been playing a bit more for them but not a major player but obviously you lose some more depth in the backfield and Jamar Chase obviously one of their key playmakers he's expected needs at least one week possibly up to three so you'll probably need to rely more on guys like T Higgins stepping up to uh, fill in the gap though you know some nice cameos from Higgins so so maybe he can get it done a couple of slightly uh, less season-y style injuries. So Jacksonville quarterback has a concussion and he's week to week. This is obviously, he recently had the ankle injury and stuff as well, so not great. Tennessee quarterback Will Levis has hurt his ankle and he's week to week. And New York Jets quarterback Zach Wilson has a concussion and is week to week. Beyond that, we have Indianapolis running back Zach Moss has hurt his shoulder and is week to week. And Pittman, who we talked about there in the crime punishment section, he has a concussion after that tackle and he's week to week. Dallas offensive lineman Zach Martin has injured his leg and he's week to week and Green Bay wide receiver Jaden Reed hurt his toe and is now week to week as well obviously look Jacksonville looking to make a push to make the playoffs Lawrence not being right is going to hamper them although he's maybe not been playing his best football the last week or two coming off his ankle injury Tennessee has become less interesting without Levis there not that they were fantastically interesting to start with Jets Wilson Look, they're gonna. They had the one good game out of him, and then they had what happened this week that I believe almost certainly will be in the dump off because, uh, yeah, uh, being held out is not great for the other ones. The Zach Martin injury hurts Dallas quite a bit. He's a key part of that line. Hopefully, he's only out for a week.
week or two, but he, he didn't look happy on the sidelines whenever he wasn't being allowed back in anyway. And for Indy, Zach Moss has been helping them out quite a bit, and Pittman is most of their wide receiver stuff. So not great for a team who's also trying to push their way into the wild card and potentially their division hunt. Lawrence is the big one here. If he misses a week or possibly more, that's going to really set them back. Like CJ Bethard is, you know, okay. This is a team that's in a tough position now. I believe they're now only one game up on two other teams, both the Colts and the Texans. So the division's in doubt. A playoff spot is in doubt. So they need Lawrence, if he can play, to play. But concussion, it's more often than not, you're going to miss at least a week. So mm-hmm. tough times ahead for them. Levis, I think this season doesn't really matter, but obviously you want to evaluate if this guy is going to be your franchise quarterback. You've seen flashes of some interesting play, but you've also seen a, a kind of kamikaze approach to the position with this kind of injury makes you probably more circumspect about how viable he is as a long-term starter. You'll probably maybe see more Ryan Tannehill if he's not willing to play it through the ankle sprain, though. Most quarterbacks end up playing through those if they can. And Zach Wilson, like, look, initially it was called dehydration, then it was called concussion, then the NFL said it wasn't concussion, but then the Jets said it was concussion. So I don't know what's going on in terms of this whole situation, but it seems to have, you know, devolved after one brief sojourn of happiness into back into the kind of fuck up it's been the entirety of the season. It's probably Trevor Simeon out there this week for what it's worth. Uh, Moss and Pittman are probably two of the most central players for Colts right now, so that could definitely have an effect on their playoff push. JT still out, Moss obviously more central that running game. And uh, the other bit of news we've talked about is the international series look expanding a bit more. There's a lot of discussion about adding additional games, adding new places down the line. The one thing that we know now is oh, Brazil is going to host a 2024 international series game. It's going to be played in the Corinthian Stadium in Sao Paulo. There's some rumours circulated that it might even be a week one game, so get to open up the season down there, which would be quite an interesting shift to it, but I think could indicate the move towards what we've been saying for a while, reckoned would be the case that what they're going to do is leverage this 17th game into just having 16 neutral site games a year instead and this could be the start of that pushing them into different weeks making them not just the block in october and the block in november that they've been coming over to london and germany yeah and there's reports that brazil just about beat out spain and i suppose Mm -hmm. that kind of makes sense like brazil is probably easier to accommodate within the schedule since i think they're only like either one or two hours depending on the time of year one hour behind earlier in the season so that might be why they're trying Mm -hmm. to put this earlier in the season i don't know if week one will be it but early on is probably what you can expect Brazil's one of the big markets. This obviously doesn't get a lot of attention because we're over in Europe and, you know, it's, it's a different language. You know, I think in terms of number of fans, it's like in top five. And obviously Brazil's a huge country and there's so much potential in South America that uh, it's worth going in there. To, yeah, because I think they were trying to push into South America a little bit, starting with the Mexico games with an intention at the time to push further down. But then with stadium redevelopment, I think they had to stop the Mexico game for two years. Yeah, I suppose it kind of makes, makes a bit of logical sense. Perfect. Sure, on that lovely note, we'll move over and have a look at the games from last week. So first up, we have Dallas at Buffalo, 10-31. to 31. Buffalo giving us the kind of performance that we said we needed to see out of them if they wanted to continue this kind of driving run towards the playoffs. And they're doing it in the style that we said in the preseason they needed to start doing. They ran the ball like all hell. Cook was kind of dominant for them, 219 yards and two touchdowns as the Dallas pass rush kind of just didn't really get home the right way and they kept Allen in check for the most part 118 yards two touchdowns it's still fine but it's nice to see them win in a way that wasn't just Josh Allen having to go out and be Superman and trying to do a lot of stuff Uh, they got a little bit lucky with some of the calls early on with uh, some roughing calls and some fumbles and stuff like that but overall this was just a very impressive game from Buffalo a good game plan coming in like most of these strong defenses this year seem to be weak against the run more so than the pass so being able to move into that 
that that's an element that's been missing from the Buffalo teams for the last couple of years. So it's nice to see them getting success out of that. On the other side of it, the offense for for the Cowboys just disappeared entirely. Jack had 161 yards and an interception. He didn't get a ton going on the ground. The Buffalo defense, which has been not really up to all that much this year really stepped up now they've come around the last week or two but uh, it, it was interesting so they kind of went to the too high safety stuff to try and stop the deep throws because I suppose a lot of the success they've been having of late have been you know just feeding CeeDee Lamb 20 touches a game and stuff like that look it was it, it was it was a game plan to get away from them it was bad weather conditions for that type of play and Buffalo just kind of knew what they wanted to do in this game and that was quite impressive the Dallas team and the, the, the consideration of fraud watch I suppose does kind of continue a little bit with this because they look absolutely dominant in some games and not in others and I believe their home away splits are absolutely ridiculous this year so it's something like 18 or 19 points of a difference in average points scored when they're home versus when they're away which means for them it seems massively important to win their division and get some home playoff games instead of having to go on the road but for Buffalo this is a performance against a big team where you didn't do it the normal route that you would but you did a cracking job of it and every team in the AFC I imagine is looking at Buffalo team and praying that they drop a match or two because if they come into the playoffs in this kind of form, I certainly wouldn't want to be playing them. It's amazing the difference that two weeks can make to narrative in the NFL. I mean, two weeks ago, Buffalo were 6-6. Six and six. They looked absolutely cooked. They had a horrible schedule. They were talking about them, talk about not just making, not making the playoffs, but, you know, having a losing record and maybe the questions about Sean McDermott. And now, after two huge back-to-back wins, they are the most terrifying team in the NFL in terms of possible playoff opponents. They still have a path to win their division. They've really laid down a marker, especially in this game against Dallas, to show that they have figured a lot of things out and are in a very good place. And suddenly, they're, they're the team to avoid. And you're kind of hoping that they're still on the outside looking in in terms of the playoffs. And maybe there's a lot of teams kind of hoping it stays that way incredible turnaround and the coaching staff needs credit for the changes that were made in terms of the offensive coordinator bringing in joe brady he seems to have made a big change in how they played they were very smart here in terms of identifying a weakness in the in the cowboys defense so the cowboys defense i mean it has been a little bit up and down but it has generally been one of the better defensive units in the in the league and dan quinn has got a lot of praise for that but they decided look They have a weakness in their run defense. If we just bang into it constantly for three and a half quarters, they'll just break. And they did. They they used uh, James Cook to just you know, to plow through the center over and over again. And the Dallas defense just kind of crumbled before it. And then on the defensive side, I mean, all the hype about how Dak Prescott was an MVP candidate, how this Cowboys offense had figured out everything. And Dak was so good now on the move. And they seemed to be, you know, completely elite on both sides of the ball. And they just destroyed them. They just completely shut down this vaunted number one Cowboys defense. They put pressure on Dak and they made a move and they tested all these theories that have been coming out in the last few weeks about about how Prescott has improved and demonstrated that Dallas Although they are quite a good team, still look just a little bit short when they come up against at the very best. So all credit to the, the coaching staff on both sides of the ball that they really solved these problems. And Sean McDermott and his team did a lot of credit for that. The emergence of finally having discovered a running back after it feels like about five or six years without having it, having to rely on 
Josh Allen to do all that kind of stuff, and now they have someone else. I mean, Josh Allen had less than 100 yards passing in this game. He just he just kind of stood back and let the game be won in the trenches. The the buff the Bills won the battle on on the on the line. Yeah, they got a fast start to build an insurmountable lead. It was just it was really impressive, and they are a team to look for now. And I'm really looking forward now to this. It stays the way it's going for Week 18. Could be. The, the Bills Dolphins uh, that'll probably be the Sunday night football game if it, if it's if it's competitive to win the division in terms of the Cowboys god you're right about the home versus away thing this is a team that's seen I don't know if it's a turf thing or a weather thing or it's the comforts of home thing or the refs know what calls to make when the Cowboys are at home or something it's a really strange one because a home advantage isn't as big in the NFL as it is in a lot of other sports but it seems to be huge for the Cowboys and they definitely need home field advantage or at least a home playoff game in terms of winning their division and they still have a bit of work to do in both of those and Given that the Eagles also lost, this will feel like a missed opportunity for the Cowboys to seize control of the East. So yeah, for the Cowboys, it feels like they're maybe flat-track bullies a little bit. They beat up on a lot of bad teams, but they, aside from the Eagles, haven't really beaten a good team and they look very off-pace against some of the best teams in the NFL. And for the Bills, get on the train and see where this one goes. It seems like they figured some stuff out and now they're ready to go on a run. And this was a game where momentum just seemed to favour Buffalo again and again early on and then made this a game where it became a blowout. I think there's a version of this game maybe five out of ten times where it's a bit closer, but so many small things early on went their way and they were able to take advantage of that. A roughing call on Josh Allen, which was a, you know, it's a bit of a bullshit call. He was pointing at his head. He was very clearly hit with in the middle and probably within a reasonable time frame given he had just thrown the ball away. The roughing, the punter thing, that's obviously just Dallas's own fuck up, but it took away one of their big early defensive stops after uh, letting a touchdown on the first drive. There was a fumble in the first half, which Buffalo very cleverly went straight up and made the next play and then obviously wasn't able to be reviewed at that point. There was a couple of other flags that I think helped them out. There was a missed deep shot to Brandon Cooks from Dak. So all those things just kind of meant that Buffalo was very quickly on top of this game and in a tough environment, obviously, we're talking Buffalo winter, loud fans. Buffalo basically said to Dallas, hey, this is old school football let's get down and dirty, see if you can match us. And on the offense of Buffalo, they finally let James Cook and he absolutely toasted up this Dallas defense. They were missing uh, one of their defensive tackles, he's John Hankins, and I think maybe that had some effect. But even given that, it was absolute domination from Cook. And he is one of those genuinely two-way weapons where he can is both a very effective runner, but also very effective at passing the ball. Usually he did, you know, despite all of these stats, he could have had another touchdown if he just uh, caught the ball in the, the second half. And I think when you have those guys who can do both those things at a high level, that obviously makes the job of the defense much harder because they can't know what you're going to do before you get in there and in that sense he looked like a slightly slimmer Dalvin Cook uh, or peak Dalvin Cook from three or four years ago and that's obviously a weapon that if they can get going is huge for this team because we've seen in playoffs for Buffalo in previous years not having a run game has been one of the huge things that affect them because despite playing in Buffalo they haven't been a great cold weather team so to have Cook at this level that could really change things up and I think there's a testament there to the new OC Brady that he's changed things up he's made Cook central to their things and it's working very 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 well very very quickly and that meant that Allen as you said didn't have to do much he got his two touchdowns he played safe football and game which they were going ahead and ahead they were able to give him a rest which I think could be important on the other side Buffalo's defense was begging Dallas hey run the ball with Pollard run the ball with Dowdle run the ball with Dak if you want to you know because you're not going to beat us deep and outside that early Cooks uh, nearly uh, touchdown they basically did a really good job of shutting that down and Dak was like scrambling around and looking for throws and you know it just wasn't there they needed to kind of go to old 
old school dink and duck run the ball offense and they didn't look they were comfortable doing so and when the momentum was slipping away they didn't look like a team that could pick themselves back up and force their way back into this game they looked like a team that kind of took the second half off to some extent uh, on both sides of the ball like Buffalo had a really long drive kind of salted away half the thing I think this game started like 25 minutes after the other late window games but it had caught up by the middle of, of, of the second half of all the T games so Dallas were tasked to change your stuff up adapt and they failed to do it in all aspects and yeah I think they'll rue some of those early bad luck calls but good teams take bad luck and they turn it around and they win anyway. We've seen teams like, you know, Patrick Mahomes Chiefs do that in recent years. And if you don't have that in your locker and you need to be at home in the nice comfortable position, nice nice dome and everything like that, then you're not going to win the Super Bowl given that, you know, their chance of winning the division is, I suppose, solid. You know, they need to get one more win than Philly, but their chance of getting number one seed, I think San Francisco pretty much have the unlocked now. Yeah, they're going to have to learn how to get be a bit tougher here because, yeah, their away form is definitely a consideration. You know, everything has to be under dark clouds or has to be under a cave like you know Jerry World is kind of like Mordor effectively but the, you know they need to be able to win away from more often if they're going to get this done that was all Sauron's problem was the home away splits that's why uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah speaking of though uh, even though Dallas dropped the game here you know it wasn't a terrible weekend because Philly also dropped the game they went up to Seattle and it went 70 to 20 for Seattle you know big big cock lock with uh, two minutes on the clock just knew exactly what to do. 208 yards, a touchdown. Leads a 1 minute 24 touchdown drive just before the end to pull them ahead. And then Love sails a ball a little bit high and to the right. And Seattle get an absolutely cracking interception, I must say, to, to close out the game. The offense for Seattle was kept mostly driven through Walker. He had 112 yards and a touchdown. He looked phenomenal on the day. Uh, definitely back from the injury anyway. Although, I, I must say, it didn't look like he was getting a lot of blocking in front. It, it felt like he was making a lot yeah. of the yardage himself like he was just running into three men and going well you can take me down in five yards like it, it was truly like a, a proper like putting the team on his back kind of performance on the other side Jalen Hurts at 225 yards two touchdowns but two interceptions as well played quite tough and they looked good at the start Hurts was using his legs quite effectively whenever stuff wasn't breaking down another game in a row now we've seen people being able to lock up some of their offensive weapons a little bit more than they would like but yeah it was, like I said the two interceptions towards the tail end were kind of the, the the key elements in this where just good defense helped them hold them out and this is third in a trot loss for Philadelphia which is not great and number one seed is disappearing from sight they're happy that Buffalo took care of business against Dallas but they're in a fight for their division now as well and Dallas like we mentioned before and will be very much eyeing this up this is a Philly team that just seems to have lost its way a little bit like you would say Sean beforehand that they look like they hadn't quite reached where they were beforehand last year that they aren't quite at that level and I was saying last week in the previews that I think actually it's gotten a little bit worse than that that I thought they were actually a little bit in free fall and we're seeing here that like you know they're struggling to, to score and we talk about this slide because it's three games in a row but we kind of forget that like all of us on the thing were saying the two games prior to this three game slide they should have lost them as well like so realistically on the quality of play we've been seeing from them this should be a five game losing streak but it's not and they do have the talent that they can turn it around and stuff getting on a slide like this and then promoting Matt Patricia to being your sideline caller for your defense and scrambling around, only being able to put up 17 points here is 20 points last week or whatever. These are not the actions of 
a winning franchise that's ready for the playoffs. These are the actions of a team that's scrambling and doesn't think it's set up for it. And honestly, looking at them at the moment, they're not. For the other side, Seattle looked very good here, particularly in the final quarter. They were a little bit kind of just keeping touch with them for the first half to to three quarters. But Locke did a very good job, uh, particularly in the last kind of three or four minutes of the game to kind of keep the ship right. And that two-minute drive at the tail end was fantastic. And like I said, the combination of, I think he did actually play well, but just very confusing movement into kind of man coverage and allowing guys getting in behind them. So it was, it was it was messy play calling. Philly, to a certain extent, shot themselves in the foot with their defensive decision-making at that point. But Seattle played well. They kept themselves in the game, gave themselves the shot, and then were able to take it and capitalize on it. That's great. That keeps them relevant in the, in the wildcard hunt as well. So it's quite exciting for them. But yeah, for Philadelphia... I don't know how you guys feel, but like, if it wasn't for the fact it was the Giants they're playing next week, I'd probably just be picking against them. Philadelphia are definitely in a bit of a rut. I think they have had issues all year, and now some of the internal turmoil seems to be spilling out. We've obviously already talked about the whole Matt Patricia situation on the defense. Jalen Hurts' comments after this game indicated he felt some people weren't giving 100% effort. That's the kind of comments which can go one way or the other in the locker room in terms of how people feel about Jalen Hurts. I think he's generally held in good esteem, so... The hope is to be positive, but you know this is a team that was sailing, it felt like, towards the number one overall seed. It won a bunch of games, he said, which maybe they shouldn't have won, but against obviously some of the best teams in the league. And now the last few weeks, two tough tests against Dallas and San Francisco, and now losing to a more middling team like Seattle, you definitely have to have issues. And this is a game which... For, for stretches, you thought, okay, Philly, they're going to turn it around. They know what they're doing. They're running the ball fairly effectively. Hertz is running the ball quite well. I think in the first half in particular, they probably rue that they didn't put up a few more points. I think they ended up settling for a field goal instead of a, of a touchdown on one of their long drives. And it was solid, but it wasn't like great. It wasn't championship level football uh, that they were putting together on the offense. Like It's not the problem, but it's not the fix everything either. And I think I've said many times before through many reviews like that's kind of 2023 NFL football defense is obviously taking a step up you know some schematic changes have taken away the kind of explosives and yeah you know people like AJ Brown weren't the same kind of impact here uh, that they were having earlier this year or certainly last year and in that case you just need to do it the hard way and Hertz is putting his body in the line he's running a lot but you know you'd hope to see more uh, from DeAndre Swift he was solid here 4.1 per carry but not the kind of explosive element that they need to kind of make up for the fact that I suppose they're not a team built to be consistent to kind of do the West Coast thing like is Hurts going to evolve into that guy who can lead you down like 10 throw drives and you know run the ball drives for for touchdowns I don't know if that's going to happen in time for for this season so getting against the Seattle team which was in desperation mode they were against the Seattle team which was at home so they had obviously the home field advantage but for long periods of this time Seattle was basically the Ken Walker show like Ken Walker was just absolutely playing out of his mind as you said like so many times it's basically like giving the ball to Ken Walker and then there's like three or four Philly guys around him either on the edge or in the box and he's just like all right I'll just do it all right guys let's just do this and you know I think it's the perfect game for someone like Ken Walker over Jack Charbonnet because you know the defensive line for Philly is not the problem on the defense it's obviously all the other elements but neutralize the because Ken Walker was so good at getting to the second level even when he was put in bad situations and that was enough to keep this team afloat to get them like the 10 points before the fourth quarter and keep this within a one score game that obviously and Philly's lack of consistency in offense and then yeah when it comes down to the final drive and this is like classic Carolera uh, Seahawks football everything comes down 
down to the final drive. Drew Locke finally comes out of his shell because, you know, before this, most of the production came off dump-offs to Ken Walker or short throws. But on the final drive, just started playing out to his uh, receivers. DK Metcalf finally shows up. I think three of his receptions out of five were on this uh, final drive. One very lucky, bobbling off his of his uh, shin, basically. And then, you know, one uh, kind of in very tight coverage. They kind of felt like 50-50 balls would just all happen to fall Seahawks way. And then Jackson Smith and Jake would have really impressive catch and obviously which were wet conditions on the final touchdown drive and yeah as you said the defense I wouldn't say it was perfect by any stretch but it was better than some of the stuff they put over recent weeks and you know they made the clutch interception Julian Love got both of those and so that's at least progress for obviously a young defense and which was missing uh, Devin Witherspoon who's obviously been a, a major factor the rookie had uh, this year so and Leonard Williams was also a pretty good force in the interior defensive line was getting uh, Jalen Hurts off a spot a few times so it's the Seahawks defense going to get shown up I feel like if they make the playoffs probably but given that the rest of their schedule softens up significantly games against teams like I think it's Tennessee Pittsburgh and Arizona then I think you give them a reasonable chance of maybe winning two of those and then having like a 50-50 shot of making the playoffs based on that maybe but I think given how tough the last few weeks have been that kind of five game losing streak to get this win at a vital time to rejuvenate things and Seattle maybe can get it together put together stuff because they are a talented team and maybe be a factor uh, going forward their margins are pretty slim and in this game and going forward and uh, they'll just be glad that finally a coin flip went their way it's just such a strange game because just watching it for 58 minutes i was entirely convinced that Philly were going to win. There was no reason not to believe that the Eagles, they weren't playing brilliantly. The offense st- still looked like a little bit off and they, they weren't quite executing. They even, they even screwed up a touch push and things weren't looking amazing. On the defense, they looked like the scheme was maybe a tiny bit improved under Patricia. Players were mostly doing their jobs. Jalen Carter was having a good game and Jalen Hurts thro- throws away a stupid interception but it doesn't go anywhere. The Seahawks just don't look like they have the offensive power to actually win the game and you're like, okay, Drew Locke has a minute and something left to win this game he's got to go 92 yards just like no way this can happen and then it just does it it just whatever happened a combination of the Seahawks find their mojo and DK Metcalf does he steps up when he when he needs to be stepped up and Drew Locke just found some confidence and ability from somewhere and you know you got to start thinking about if Pete Carroll has somehow rejuvenated the careers of both Geno Smith and Drew Locke you know you got to you know tip your cap to him but for the Eagles they just stopped playing they just crumbled they couldn't stop the drive forward and then on the on the way back Hurt starts taking the risks and, and throwing interceptions and it's just it's a strange game to analyze for me because I kind of felt like the narrative was suggesting this was going to be a tight just about surviving win for Philly they get kind of gets them back on track but now they're like it's a crisis right now they haven't just lost to the two biggest rivals that they were facing they've also lost to a team that's kind of on the bubble for the playoff and has looked spicy at various times this year but has never looked fantastic the question is going to have to start to be asked now about about what happened to that defense in those final two minutes what happens to the defensive players that just aren't performing their jobs like James Bradbury who targeted all over the place what's happening on the offensive side that Jalen Hurts has three times more interceptions this season than he's had last why is it just not clicking why are they making stupid mistakes all over the place why is even Jason Kelsey giving away false start penalties that the most reliable guy probably uh, in the league one could Go argue on. maybe they, they they are false starting all the time but the refs never call it but, uh, <laughs> true <laughs> certainly that, that Kelsey is, that... was on the the slight ball shift I believe every play he's like oh, yeah he, a couple he, inches he, forward ball shift so he stole about three quarters of a yard and a ref finally called him on it which I, I guess maybe that, that that's a ref problem yeah for the Eagles it just kind of feels like on in every part of the team and the system and the way it's working everyone's 
not doing their job well enough and it's kind of all falling apart a little bit nobody quite believes they're as good as they were last year they, they were getting away with it for like 12 weeks but now they're definitely not getting away with it and how they respond to this whatever about losing to the 49ers okay they're like a really really good team you can maybe argue that on, on your day you, you can be expected to be beaten by them whatever about beaten being beaten by the cowboys at least last week you could give the argument the cowboys were in incredible form and the eagles now they know what the standard is they need to move up to. This is a defeat that's going to hurt for them because this was a game that they really should have won but didn't. And they're going to have to figure that problems out. Now, I don't think the solutions are things like putting Matt Patricia on the defensive play calling. And I think maybe they're a little bit over-reliant on just a small number of players offensively like Jalen Hurts and the, the three big receivers kind of they, they kind of build the entire team around them. Maybe they need to find other ways of winning, other options that just try to get nine yards and then relying on a touch push to get you over the line kind of thing. So they got to go back to drawing but and fix a lot of things. Because I think if the Cowboys win wasn't the one that kicked them up the ass and told them that they needed to improve a lot or else they weren't going to win anything this year, this is definitely the one that tells them that you guys are going to end up as the fifth seed. You could end up on, in a road game in Tampa Bay or something where it's suddenly a lot harder than you think. And even if you win that, you're going to end up in another road game. Like they're looking at a, at a three road game path to the Super Bowl unless they, you know, start winning some games. And for them, I think that's a very tough road. So not where they were last year. We already talked about that. But the championship mentality would seem to be carrying them through the middle part of the season. That seems to have evaporated. And I think they just need to get back to basics and start fixing these problems because the season is falling away from them uh, rapidly at this point. Next up, we have Minnesota at Cincinnati, 24 to 27 in overtime. We had another big old Jake Browning game, 324 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Now, he didn't start maybe as quickly as they would have liked, but he kind of got there in the end. He was taking a few more chances, but they were down 17-3, to and then they started to, to dig their way back out of that hole. As we mentioned, there were some injuries that happened in this game with uh, Jamar Chase uh, getting his shoulder separated and stuff. But Higgins had 61 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, the second one in particular was very impressive, and they kind of ran through him. And so they just weren't really getting the kind of game script that they wanted at the start, but then found that they were able to get it working through the air a little bit more. And Mullins, on the other side, had a mixed day 300 yards two touchdowns and two interceptions but ty chandler the running back finally kind of got his proper look in boy did he he make the most of it 132 yards and a touchdown addison had 111 and two touchdowns it's one of these ones that i think minnesota played quite well in this one really worked around the limitations they were having with their personnel and the injuries that they had i'm still confused about what they're attempting to do with the quarterback position and the constant rotation stuff but like look you got 300 yards and two touchdowns out of mullins and you'll eat two interceptions as the, the cost of doing business with running through your third and fourth string quarterbacks. But they're going to be annoyed that they weren't able to keep their defense doing what it was doing early on in the game because it felt like they should probably have had this game in hand, but they allowed Cincinnati back into it. From the Cincinnati side, this is very exciting. They're now kind of charging towards playoff relevance in it. Browning has shown himself to be really impressive under center for them. He seems to be able to run that offense particularly well. They would have liked to maybe see a little bit more out of the run game and particularly whenever you're they're having problems with it to be able to find other ways to work it in because they got away with it in this game in overtime but like you don't want to be putting that much onto the shoulders of Browning also I believe there was, there was a little bit of jibing afterwards as he had been on the Minnesota practice squad beforehand and was kind of saying well maybe you should have kept me kind of thing but no exciting for Cincinnati there's a bit of room for development here because I would honestly I'd be putting Minnesota in a tier below them but still they're there they're, they're competitive from the Minnesota side this is kind of a season to get past at this stage 
I'm interested to see, are, are we just testing out bits now for next year to see, okay, so we've got Chandler there so we can use him. Addison is really stepping up so we can pair him with Jefferson. Like they have a lot of nice pieces and they're kind of trying them out. They obviously don't have their answer at quarterback, but presumably just auditioning these guys to be the backup for next year. It feels like a game they probably should have won, but let it slip through their fingers. They'll be annoyed, but hey, for Cincinnati, who I'm quite enjoying watching them, even, even when they weren't doing fantastic at the start of this game, they're fun to watch. I would far more enjoy watching them in a seventh seed spot than a number of other teams in AFC. So I'm hoping that that gets to continue. And it's a lovely story with Browning being able to, to, to lead them that way as well, Sean. Yeah, it's incredible that the Bengals are still alive and that they've managed to fix these problems. And obviously, we're, we're a big Bengals fan on this podcast in, in general. And, and it's lovely to see them get deep, even if they don't have the Joe Burrow magic. Again, we've talked a lot about you got to give credit to the coaching staff for what they've managed to do with the Bengals in, in the past few weeks once they've recovered from the trauma of losing Burrow for the rest of the season. But you really got to give credit for whatever they did with Browning, that the guy that they found and they, they just shaped him into the system, they developed them. And what I really liked about Browning in this game was the mentality. He wasn't having the best game. He was having a game that just things just weren't working out for them. They were kind of falling behind in the score. Things weren't looking great for them. It was like, oh, this is going to be the one that got away from the Bengals and now they're going to be back in a hole and they're probably not going to make the playoffs if they don't maybe pull this one out but he kind of stuck at it right to the end and he had like three really great good drives right in the back end of the game that that won the game for them right he was the guy who went down again I got to get them down the field I got to get these scores I got got to plow them forward and he found his options he got T Higgins making doing wonderful things and it it, it just really came together and it worked and he was helped a lot which I thought was really amazing to watch is to watch how much the O-line is is, how good a job it's doing to protect them okay now he got sacked I think four times in this game but the Vikings were just blitzing non-stop against the Bengals in this entire game and yet the O-line managed to hold up enough to give Browning the time he needed to get it done and and at the end of the game he, he paid it off the defensive side is looking you know it's up and down a little bit I think Awuzie is getting back to his best on the sense of the secondary is improving a, a little bit but they're maybe not quite the unit on the defensive side that they maybe needed to be but this offense is it's not quite Burrow-esque as we've talked about before but it, but it's good enough and it, it's really fun to watch and we kind of hope that they go deep but the biggest problem with the AFC is that we start looking at the AFC see wildcard race and you realize there's like four kind of fun teams we'd like to see in the playoffs but they can't all make it from the wildcard spot and so it's going to be interesting to be maybe picking between do we want the Bengals in or do we want the Texans in or do we want the Bills in or do we want the Browns in or, or who do we want to sacrifice to the playoff god fun to watch it and uh, it's it's interesting to see how far it goes Minnesota yeah it's 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 really all over the place right the big problem is quarterback and it's it's only now I guess in retrospect once Kirk Cousins leaves that we, we realize how much he was actually doing for this offense how much his just boring reliability was something that the Vikings could kind of hang their hat on and build upon and use as a base to to win games because they seem to have this trade-off now which you know some other teams who are kind of down on their second or third string quarterbacks are also facing which is you you can have the explosiveness of Dobbs but you you have no reliability on that side because he he can have incredible games or he can have bad games or you can have you know boring guys like Nick Mullins who himself is probably not the answers and you got to point at the first half intercept with kind of left points on the board and how do they square that problem because they're seven and seven and they they're probably they're not going to win the division now the lines are, are pretty much as far ahead they only need one more win to take the division but the vikings are in 
a, a wild card spot still. And they're certainly, given how weak the NFC is, can be expected if they hold themselves a nine and eight or something that they'll probably get in. But how do they win a playoff game against a halfway decent defense if they don't have a decent quarterback? I wonder if there's maybe some sort of Dobbs with someone else like Mullins or Hall kind of combo where you bring Dobbs in occasionally in kind of wildcat scenarios or Taysom Hill type situations where his main job is to be a runner, but he can pass if that's needs be. And that kind of uncertainty is what opens up a couple of plays for the, the Vikings. And then otherwise, you got to work on a guy who can be a game manager the rest of the time. They don't have one quarterback good enough, but maybe they can like stitch together a decent quarterback from the pieces that they have if they're very clever about it. And maybe that's a thing that Kevin O'Connell needs to be talked about. On the defensive side, we've talked a little bit about their defense being at, at times quite weak and, and not up to, to scratch. They relied on the kind of a lot of pressure up front from the front seven that didn't work and they also had this weird thing where they were trying to run zone defenses on drop back passes which eventually Browning just figured out and just murdered them on and that didn't do so well either so there's schematic problems on the defensive side as much as there are schematic and player problems on the offensive side so it's a weird thing to be where the, the Bengals look like much the better team but they're still gonna it's gonna be a scrap to get into the AFC playoff spots whereas the Vikings just kind of need to hold par, really. They just need to win, you know, two more games to, to guarantee their spot in, and they don't need to look all that exciting in doing that. What the Bengals wouldn't give to be in the NFC right now. Next up, we have uh, Chicago at Cleveland, 17-20. to 20. There was a Hail Mary, the tail end of this, that was effectively caught, then dropped by Mooney, unfortunately. And that kind of closed out a game that felt like it should have been Chicago's because they were leading for quite some time and then they allowed 13 unanswered points. Joe Flacco had a fairly poor run of it until the fourth quarter and then decided now is the time to start playing. He had 374 yards, two touchdowns and three interceptions. You know, the Chicago defense was definitely playing better. They caused a lot of issues. Sweat had a couple of great, I think he had a sack, but he also had like, in particular, there was one or two great tackles in the backfield just sniffing out running plays when they were coming and getting it done. But Flacco decided, do you know what I really like? I really like tight ends. I really like Njoku. I'm just going to feed him for the last two minutes and get there. And they did. Fields had a bit of a so-so day, 166 yards and a touchdown with two interceptions. Now, the interceptions were both end of half Hail Mary, so they're not, I wouldn't put them into the genesis. Even just 166 and a touchdown isn't exactly a phenomenal day for them. Uh, the Cleveland defense did really well in this one. They kind of caused pressure, knew where to flush people out of. It, it, it was working well for them. But to be honest, it was just, in my head, this comes down to Matt Everflus and not understanding how to run a game script towards the tail end. They were up 17 to 7 at the end of the third quarter or coming down to the end of the third quarter and let it slip away from them. And some of the decision making that was happening on that stuff, like they were in a was it a tied situation and he managed to or were they winning at the point where they had the teeny tiny drive yeah so they had like they were tied up with a minute left in the game they had their timeouts to use if they wanted and they decided to burn a minute off the clock and then just kick a punt having not gotten a first down they could have run the ball timed it out gotten themselves to overtime if they needed a breather or whatever but it was just horribly mismanaged to be honest it was weird to see the defense kind of stiffen up a little bit for the Browns at the tail end because I think the bits that they had found success on coming up to that point against them were kind of shut down at the tail end and I don't know if that's maybe tail end of the game script and Chicago hadn't expected to have to run as many plays as they did or maybe Cleveland's adjustments caused issues for what they were looking to try and get going but yeah like the the, the last quarter for 
Chicago was just fairly abysmal, to be honest. They weren't getting anything going, whereas the opposite was true for Cleveland. They kind of figured it out. Joe Flacco woke from his slumber and particularly just focusing in on Joku had a had a great little run at the tail end to keep Cleveland in the running. This is the type of game, Fitz, that is probably going to go against Fields in his bid to stay as the quarterback of this team because you look at this and go, you've, you've got some weapons, you've found success early in the game. Like, there is the ability to use your legs a little bit more in this one as well if you wanted, and they couldn't get a first down when they needed a first down. They couldn't get any yardage when they needed yardage. They couldn't run the clock when they wanted to run the clock. It was just a real fourth quarter collapse from Chicago. I think it's a really interesting contrast between the two quarterbacks. I think both of them had very challenging days. They both won more interception than touchdown. But I think you saw the difference between having... I suppose, a traditional quarterback and having a new style quarterback. You know, Joe Flacco in this game struggled for long stretches. He was behind a patchwork offensive line. I think they only had like one starter and they were down to third string guys in multiple positions. And you could definitely tell that he was having to do some panic throws. And you're seeing the difference with the old school quarterbacks is that, you know, they have to throw. That's all they have. And so you see that if a guy gets chipped in the wide receiver, they're going to throw the way they expect the player is. And for one of the interceptions, that the player wasn't there because he'd been slowed down and it went straight into the an easy interception for the defender. And it looks bad for Flacco. And two of the interceptions did look quite bad for him. Like he's expecting things to be exactly where he needs to be. And he's going to throw into the space. And that's what, you know, old school quarterbacks were great at. And that's what Flacco, you know, won a Super Bowl doing, as well as having a big arm, which he too very still has. Then you also see the big throws that he made in the clutch moments. Like the one that particularly stood out to me was a Amari Cooper throw, where he was in kind of in the zone between three different players. And that required Flacco to have anticipation and have arm talent and to get into a very tight window and then allow his receiver to, to make the catch and that was one of the many many throws that kind of got them going in the last quarter I think some of the other ones were more kind of kind of just yards after the catch things like with Njoku and stuff but uh, that one to Murray Cooper kind of old school quarterbacking kind of stood out like that's why Flacco was able to get the key plays down the stretch despite you know coughing up the ball three times and then you contrast that to Justin Fields where he doesn't have that really he, like he just doesn't have anticipation his act Accuracy can be a little bit off. There was an early shot, albeit rolling out of the pocket to the tight end, Tunyon, that just fell just a little bit out of his out of, out of his range. And, you know, if you need a guy who can consistently move the ball down the down the, the field, you know, without explosives, he just doesn't have that in his locker. He's obviously an amazing rusher. You know, I think Cleveland did a really good job of shutting that down. And you kind of see then, if he doesn't have that, and he doesn't have explosive bed down plays to DJ Moore, what does he have? Not much. And I think you saw again and again the Cleveland defense, which is much healthier now than it was a few weeks ago when it had a bit of a lull. You know, Miles Garrett's healthy, they got Denzel Ward back. I think you saw that this defense is back to where it was early in the season, shutting people down. And the only plays that really worked for Fields were those improvisations when he got outside the pocket and could rush for a little bit, or on the touchdown where Miles Garrett was like this close to getting a sack, but Fields spun out of it, got outside the pocket, threw a touchdown to commit. Those are the things that make you go, Fields, he has these special talents, but are you seeing the growth of him as a kind of, uh, you know, having those core quarterback skills? I'm not really sure that you are. And so you kind of go, is he just going to end up being like a Kyler Murray type guy where look the, the highs are really high but the lows are really low and in the modern NFL where teams are focused on stopping explosive plays do these guys make sense anymore to build your franchise around and obviously that's going to be a huge question for them given that they're almost certainly going to have the number one overall pick from Carolina 
there's that interesting contrast there in what you have and why I suppose Stefanski, who obviously does a really good job of getting good production regardless of his quarterback, probably prefers to have a Flacco over a Fields right now, even though, you know, age and talent differential would mean that you probably would prefer to have Fields in the long run. Yeah, like look, even though despite that, you know, Cleveland, you know, they crawled their way back into this game, they got ahead, but, you know, they were one, <laughs> you know, Darnell Mooney, like actually, you know, catching the ball from losing this game at the end. I think it's a game where Cleveland, you know, they, they have these issues, these injuries are stacked up on the offense of line side now so their defense is going to really have to step up to, to really kind of keep them in games and Flacco is going to continue to have to pull things out of the fire because you know they have so many flaws right now on the offense it's hard to believe in them on a game-to-game basis but they're in a good position in terms of the record and they're showing that they have the guts to do it here and in Flacco they have someone who's obviously seen been there done that got the t-shirt I think they'll take their win they stay relevant and, and I think this basically have completely eliminated Chicago from any playoff consideration so yeah the future for them huge huge things coming in the offseason they have a bunch of money they have a dro- bunch of draft picks let's see what they do with them next up Houston at Tennessee wait hold on is this, is this Tennessee Houston versus the Oilers 19 <laughs> to 16 in overtime survive without Stroud under center and bizarrely it, it's like they've got like one ring of power or something that they can only have so now that Stroud's out they'll just give it to Singletary and now all of a sudden he's good again uh, 170 yards for him and their defense came in hot an interception seven sacks and that meant that Keenum only had to do so much in it and even then it took overtime for it. He had 229 yards, a touchdown and an interception. The Tennessee offense, who yes, came in in Oilers uniforms because they really wanted to piss off the other side. I don't know. Yeah, Levis started well, uh, but then kind of slowed down. He had 199 yards and the interception. And then obviously he had the injury that we referenced at the news section. They just really weren't able to get too much going at all. Henry was held to about half a yard a carry in this game, which is says a lot about how strong the Houston defense stepped up. It's really interesting to see them step up this well. Now, this is a Tennessee team that I don't really rate highly. I don't really find their offense exciting or that diverse. So maybe it's a function of who they're playing and the fact that they're super pissed off with them for their uniform choices. But if Houston can have their defense playing at this kind of level and get Stroud back, that's a really exciting idea or a really exciting kind of prospect for for watching obviously they they still have to see what they're going to do wide receiver wise and how long some of those guys are going to be out but Houston I kind of said I wasn't sure if they were able to do this if if Stroud wasn't in there they got it done albeit you know they really had to work for it Singletary having 170 yards a lot to put on a running back who hasn't really been putting up those types of numbers but they get through it hopefully they get Stroud back after this game and then they can still take a run at a wild card, possibly even their division. But I think mostly the wild card would be what you'd be keeping an eye on for them at the moment. From the Tennessee side, we could say this for donkeys, just blow it up. Like, just end it. Take it out into the shed, put the put the screens around, shotgun to the head. Like, this thing has been stumbling around on two and a half legs for two years now. Blow it up and start again. Maybe with Levis, maybe not. As we said, the, the, the question about does his play style lend itself to being a reliable place for 17 games quarterback? But, you know, like that at the moment appears to be half the crack that's happening down in, in, in a lot of these divisions because, you know, we've got a lot of quarterbacks who have had injuries so far. There's a lot of quarterbacks with injuries in that division at the moment. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one to, to, to see moving forward. But yeah, like Tennessee, just start fresh, get new Houston. Keep the defense operating at this level. Get Stroud back, and you could be quite an exciting watch. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to see Keenum. Yeah, obviously we all want to see CJ Stroud, and and he is the the future here. But I think what this game demonstrates is that it's not just Stroud, or that Stroud is is helping to elevate the entire team. And we got to give 
credit for D'Amico Ryans and what he's been able to do because this is a team that had didn't have Stroud, didn't have their top two wide receivers and still found a way to do it. Still found a way to defensively hold the other team to 16 points and then offensively really dig into their wide receiver depths and, and get some big plays out of people. Dalton Schultz is having a career year. You know, Noah Brown was good. It was a real kind of, this Texans team is for real. And I don't think the division is away from them if the Jags are in the free fall that they seem to be in and Trevor Lawrence might be injured. That You know, the, the Jags could easily fall away. And if it's down to the Texans and the Colts, then you got to back the Texans all the way it's it's such a fun team and such a fun experience but it's not the same without Stroud you're absolutely right we, if it comes to playoff you want to have that dynamic thing and you want Stroud to be like down four points with two minutes left and to have the ball because that's when he's he's absolutely at his best it's just amazing that a team that looked like nobody's for so long has suddenly just because of one guy just completely the dynamic has changed the, the mood has changed and this team kind of believes in itself and wants to have fun uh, in terms of titans i couldn't agree with you more i mean it, it really demonstrates how much this team has passed a sell-by date that I think Gary Henry averaged 0.6 yards a carry or something ridiculous. And despite that, they, they stuck with the run. They just kept trying to run the ball endlessly, even though it wasn't working. And they weren't even giving the carries to the other guy, Spears, who was actually making yardage. It was constantly towards Henry. And then when they did try to have Levis pass the ball, he's behind the worst O-line I think I've ever seen in my life, who ends up getting him injured. It's incredible how bad this team actually is given they've got a really good head coach there's a, a good bit of talent there they have been shaping something for a long time but as you said they, they just haven't evolved other teams have been able to move on to the next phase of the evolution or find a new way of doing things this team seems to still believe it's 2018 and they can just they can just ram Derrick Henry down their throats uh, and that will be enough it's just not good enough and the Titans definitely need to to restart it. but thankfully they're sufficiently dead this year that we don't need to worry about them in the playoffs but for the Texans sky's the limit get Stroud back get their wide receiver talent back and these guys can do a lot of damage because it definitely clear the core behind them is a really good team as well this this is not just individuals this is a really good team I think they can win the division at this point I'm kind of thinking that they will as you said look all games are important just some are less important Fitz is a fan of those so we leave them to him in the dump off Yes, uh, a pretty dumpy dump off. We'll start with one that was close and pretty devastating, but for a team, I don't think any of us are unhappy to see slide out of the playoff picture, but they're not completely dead yet. Let's start with Atlanta at Carolina, 7-9, a win for Carolina, first win for their interim head coach, and a crushing loss for Atlanta as they fought one behind Tampa Bay and New Orleans in the NFC South. Young does enough on the final drive, mostly helped by the fact that Hubbard's having a solid go in the last few weeks, over 100 yards here. And that was uh, led to another f- the last field goal drive after two earlier in the game, a 23-yard field goal winner. And uh, you know Atlanta's defense isn't the problem here, but they obviously weren't able to get it done in the clutch thing. Now the only reason they were put in that position is because Ritter made one of the dumbest interceptions you'll see in the red zone in a critical time, trying to kill the clock. Oh, I got outside the pocket. Oh, I'll just throw it to Xavier Woods. What an idiot. And that's why the quarterback controversy is back. Dear God, please make it end. Also, benching Bijan because he fumbled the ball early. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure, why not? So right back to classic Atlanta as they uh, thankfully are now uh, losing uh, deservedly. 
Next up, Washington Rams 2028. Look, the Rams should have won this game easily, but they just kept getting in their own way. They had two fumbles early on in this game. They gave a couple of touchdowns to Jacoby Brissett late on. You know, they were dominant here. Like, Stafford was 258 yards, two touchdowns. Cup was over 100 yards. Kyron Williams was 158 yards, a touchdown. Though he was responsible for two fumbles. Like, they should have won this game easily, and they did get the win in the end. But outside that kind of late scare from Brissett getting his two touchdowns to the cambio, because Howell, mostly ineffective here. Basically, about 100 yards, touchdown interception. But the awful, you know, Washington defense. Yeah, they had plenty of chances. They couldn't use them, that's what Washington are this year. Next up, Baltimore-Jacksonville, 23-7. Baltimore continued to hold on to number one seed by taking over a fairly faltering Jacksonville team. Lamar had a lot of nice splash plays in this game, a couple of nice runs, a couple of nice uh, throws after swiveling around for a while. That's the kind of stuff we love from Lamar. The standard pass game stuff, less effective. The run game was solid, if not you know great, after Keith Mitchell went out. We'll see if they get this kind of things against a better defense going forward. Uh, Lawrence was pretty good, 305 yards, touching uh, the fumble, though he was knocked out by concussion after the game and playing through the ankle injury but first half the stakes just killed Jacksonville they had a fumble they missed two field goals and at the end of the half they made the very strange decision not to spike the ball but to go for a throw and get to the edge and the guy couldn't get out of bounds and, and the, the clock ran out when they were within field goal range so yeah Baltimore were helped here but I think we're probably the better team as well Tampa Bay Green Bay 34 to 20 breaker really good in this game 31 yards four touchdowns uh, an early fumble really the only blemish quite close for the first half and then they pulled away late on uh, Godwin was a big factor here which has been quite rare this year 155 yards um, whereas Moore and Evans will get a touchdown each and Rashad White's really been the revelation in the back half of the season key here again 100 yards of touchdown Love wasn't the worst here 284 yards two touchdowns fumble but you know just as the deficit grew you didn't really feel he was mature enough uh, kind of calm enough to kind of just lead them down the field against a solid Tampa Bay defense but I think the Green Bay defense once again shows up and Joe Barry you know he's had the very vaunted expression of confidence from LaFleur. That, that's usually a sign that maybe things aren't going to go great for him in the, in the offseason if, if Green Bay, which looks likely now, missed the playoffs. Pittsburgh and Indianapolis, 13-30, one of the Saturday night games. Indianapolis had a bunch of injuries here, as we talked about, both Pittman and Moss were missing for large parts of this game, but Minshew able to get it done, particularly in the second half against Pittsburgh after, you know, they went down 13 points early and then 30 points unanswered. So Minshew, three touchdowns, he kept the ball moving with these backups like Sermon and Goodson and Montgomery. Uh, although Montgomery did drop a bona fide touchdown down as well. Given that the uh, Steelers have now benched Mitrobisky, completely understandable. Two terrible interceptions again here. Could not get the ball moving outside of some early sports and, you know, the Pittsburgh defense so vaunted. You know, they had some good plays early on, including a fumble that set up one of their touchdowns, but after that, did nothing against Minshew and Co. and his backup, so not great signs for Pittsburgh. I think they're falling well out of the playoff race, even if they have a record that's still relevant for now. Next up, Denver at Detroit 17-42. Hey, thank God uh, Detroit finally put together a complete game in the second quarter. They put up 21 points answered and then they just kind of eased their way to a victory in the second half. Goff rejuvenated five touchdowns. I think Denver weren't watching their tape because they were allowing those big plays down the middle of the field again and again and again to Gibbs, Amon Ra, Laporta and Montgomery. Everyone was having the time of their life on the uh, Detroit offense. Uh, as for the other hand, Russ, 222 yards of touchdown, couldn't get the ball moving. A fumble early on in this game, false start in the fourth and one and by the end, Sean Payton did not look particularly happy and given that this is a really tough loss for Denver in the playoff hunt, and therefore they're likely to miss the playoffs, some interesting times ahead in the offseason. 
Kansas City and New England, 27-17. Mahomes leads the offense to a win despite some mistakes. Uh, another interception caused by Tony. I'm sure the fans are delighted about that. Even Kelsey was dropping a few balls. But hey, some new faces were making some key plays. Rashi Rice, 91 yards and a touchdown. CEH was pretty solid, 101 yards and a touchdown, including a nice uh, leap up and, and catch the ball touchdown. Not perfect, but signs of, 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 of improvement. Uh, Zappi, you know, I think the offense is better than what it was like four weeks ago, but that's not saying much. 180 yards, touchdown, interception, and they had solid, but they, they, the mistakes and issues, they had a, a field goal miss, they had a flag on a, one of the touchdowns got called back, they had a bunch of injuries, uh, I think a, a Kansas City fumble also got overturned on a flag, just, you know, couldn't get out of their own way, and despite, you know, a couple of nice plays, including a nice Harris uh, cameo touchdown. San Francisco with Arizona, 45-29. to San Francisco busy, just better than Arizona. I think Arizona did a good job of kind of keeping competitive for longer than you'd expect. But, you know, San Francisco has now won the NFC West. Purdy, four touchdowns, kind of diced up Arizona's defense at will. CMC dominated both as a runner and a pass catcher. 187 yards all-purpose, all three touchdowns, just classic CMC destruction. Kyler, uh, you know, very up and down. He had a touchdown, but also two interceptions. One which was a, a pick six. He really doesn't have to have much chemistry with anyone besides McBride who was over 100 yards here. The fact that you had this running back dominance against the makeshift uh, interior defensive line for San Francisco, like 235 yards running and then two touchdowns, like you would hope to have made more of it. Giants at New Orleans, 60-24. Uh, the Giants' like magical win streak is now over. DeVito suffocated by this solid Demario Davis-led New Orleans defense. It's seven sacks, uh, three for passing on, and they had nine tackles for a loss. Basically, very little happening for Giants for the majority of this game. Uh, Saquon was less like held in less than two three yards per carry, for example. And Carr, very efficient, quick, you know, just avoiding mistakes, getting the ball out of his hands. You know, no real deep element with Olave out, but more than enough to win this game. Jets at Miami, 0-30. to The Jets, you know, zeroed, crashed back to earth after that surprise win against Houston. Wilson, 26 yards and a fumble before he's pulled at the half for dehydration, but then also concussion. Uh, we'll see what's going on there. Simeon showed up in the second half, threw two interceptions and fumbled the ball, so not much better. Tua... Had a nice easy day, diced up the Jets defense uh, without Tyreek Hill, Waddle stepped up 143 yards and a touchdown and Mostert capped off uh, two of the drives of touchdowns to keep his uh, very high touchdown score going. Finally, 63-21, big win for the Vegas Raiders. This obviously was a game so humiliating it got Brandon Staley fired and rightfully so, Raiders were up by... 42 points to zero at the half, you know, including plays from O'Connell who had four touchdowns, like a trick play and stuff like that. The, the Chargers defense, which has shown signs of life recently, absolutely collapsed in itself. Adams had over 100 yards as well. The, the early fumbles from the Chargers just kind of sapped the life from them and set up those early touchdowns to kill it off. And then to rub salt into into the wound, uh, I think there was both a fumble six and then a pick six in a row from Easton Stick, who, you know, ends up with three touchdowns, but those are all in garbage time. I would just to save the stats line, so... Yeah, an appropriately garbage time game for the end of the dump-off, and yeah, I think uh, Brandon Staley's now at the bottom of the dump-off, never to be seen again. Okay, so first up, we have Thursday Night Football. Jordan's travelling to the Rams. We've gone for the Rams across the board. Look, this is this kind of plodding entity that is the Saints, so they've got a defence that's now looking a little bit better, but still not fantastic. What will that look like against Stafford and, you know, this collection of Cup, Nakua and Williams and so on? Carr looked... A little bit better in the last game, like solid enough, but still nothing massively to write home about versus an LA Rams defense that has been slightly improving, but is still not quite up to, to snuff. So you'd expect that this is going to be a question of strength on strength of the Rams offense taking on the New Orleans defense. And I'm just going to side with the one that has the most talented players on it, and that is Cup, Nakua and Aaron Donald. 
Stafford's having like I don't know if it's an MVP level season just because they're winning enough games this season, but he is having a really, really great season. Probably, I would argue, outside of Dak, the best quarterback in the NFC. And, you know, I think what you've seen very quickly, well, over the course of the season, is that you're seeing the next version of this offense. Obviously, you've seen the emergence of Puka Nakua. You've seen Kyron Williams absolutely blasting teams since coming back from injury. And Cooper Cup is even looking back to being Cooper Cup over the last couple of weeks after being a bit slow coming off his injury in the middle of the season. And Stafford's just the, the puppet master moving everything around. He's playing at such a high level and making this whole thing work, despite the fact maybe the offensive line isn't the best. So you expect that even against a solid New Orleans defense, that they can continue to move the ball down the field. So unless they do what they did against Washington and just cough the ball up unexpectedly, you would imagine they'll put up points. And so then the question is, can Derek Carr put together a complete game? He's shown flashes of it. I think last week uh, against the Giants was pretty good, but we've seen too many times Derek Carr, when the chips are down, when this team is supposed to get itself into real contention to to let us take them seriously, that's when they inevitably collapse like they have reasons to be good like Olave's been playing well when he has been on the field uh, Kamara's having a pretty good uh, season at the moment and so Carr just needs to avoid making the big mistakes but I don't know anyhow I think they have to avoid making the big mistakes the, the Saints are probably going to make big mistakes it's crazy that this game is important playoff game because one team the Rams look really good albeit uh, kind of dodgy enough the, at the defensive side and the other one the Saints are just the most boring team imaginable and I can't I just can't understand how they've won so many games yeah I think the explosiveness of the Rams has got to be the edge here especially given how Stafford is playing a, at the moment but the Saints team just has a way of winning games so you can't count them out but I hope not again there's a whole list of teams I don't want to see in the playoffs and a lot of them are in the NFC and a lot of, more of them are in the NFC South and the Saints are at the top of that list but they're pretty damn close to it so I hope you're ready for another weekend chock block full of football because that's Thursday night then you get a little breather on Friday then we've got Saturday Sunday and Monday games this week so Saturday games will kick off with Cincinnati at Pittsburgh we've gone for Cincinnati across the board look we talked about Browning earlier they're quite exciting their defense maybe needs a little bit of work but Cincinnati are a fun team easy to root for and a great little story with their current setup whereas the other side Pittsburgh we do we do have the run for 500 that you know we need to they need to keep that going so they do need to win some games but they've made a quarterback swap again it's now going to be Mason Rudolph in a quarterback you can stick in whatever Rudolph themed Christmas joke you want at that point Kyle Rudolph was known for having these splash games at Christmas so can his namesake live up to that reputation we'll see that's mm, true that's true look frankly the Pittsburgh offense can't get much worse so you might as well give it a shot uh, Cincinnati defense we mentioned are missing DJ Reader, so maybe the run game can find a bit of purchase in this game as well but yeah like it's just a bit of a mess and then if, if, if Cincinnati are, are missing Chase which it increasingly looks like he's going to be out this week anyway I'd sum down a little bit it's just more like I can't really see Pittsburgh scoring points apart from defensive points unless they really get their run game going whereas Cincinnati you can see them able to put up even if they're not a great showing they could they they feel like an 18 to 21 point team, which would be enough to, to, to get past this Pittsburgh team, I think. It's two teams going in, in two entirely different directions. The Bengals, as we've talked about, have kind of patched up the problems and have kind of moved into the post-Burrow era and are looking pretty good uh, and improving, uh, not only offensively, but it seems to be improving defensively a little bit. Whereas the Steelers just seem to have completely run out of, of gas, completely. They just seem to have just lost whatever momentum had them carried them to. I think they were like 6-3 and three at one point. Whatever momentum had they had, 
had to carry them there is gone. The offense just they keep going through their their horrible list of terrible quarterbacks, and now they're down to Mason. I actually can't really understand, even given that Trubisky is not a good quarterback. Mason Rudolph can't actually be better than him, though. Is the problem? Is the I just I just I can't fathom that even if Trubisky is having a terrible time. You go. You look at Mason Rudolph and go, "Yeah, he's the guy. He's the guy that can get us into the playoffs in this tough AFC." I just, I just, I, I can't see it. I, I can't see the Pittsburgh offense scoring many points, uh, and I can see Browning figuring out this, having a bit of trouble maybe with the Pittsburgh defense, but eventually figuring it out and getting down the stretch and to to win out the game. Yeah, objectively, like Cincinnati should win this game. They're they're in good form. They're winning games in various different factors. Browning has been uh, playing very well. Uh, within this more kind of traditional Shanahan type system with much more play action and against Pittsburgh defense which has been a bit underwhelming recently to be frank you know you would expect there'd be enough to get there but I don't know like I've picked Cincinnati here but I just have a bad feeling about this game now that Pittsburgh are back at 7-7 and and the whole 500 uh, thing is back on the line Rudolph comes back in as I said the Christmas thing here maybe Mitch is on the naughty list because he's got the the titties and Rudolph is on the nice list and he's going to show off with his big red nose and win it you know the big thing here why I think Pittsburgh do have a path to victory is I lost DJ Reader he is a really uh, you know, those guys just stuff up the middle, those kind of Vince Wilfork just like stop the run almost by themselves type guys. When they go out, they can quickly, you know, devolve the rest of the defense uh, quite badly. And I think they have a pair of running backs in Hamaji Harris and Jalen Warren who could be a factor if they actually get them going and the pass game is in any way uh, allowed to be have to be respected by Cincinnati. So I'm picking Cincinnati because I like them and they're more fun and interesting, but I do have a bad feeling that Pittsburgh might just turn this into a, a swamp of a game and somehow emerge with a win. Yeah, next up, Buffalo at the Chargers. He's gone for Buffalo across the board, Sean. I mean, obviously, the Bills are, you know, they they found their groove, as we talked about, uh, on both sides of the ball. The, the, the offense seems to have figured out how to actually combine a run game into the pre-existing Josh Allen bullshit magic, uh, or at least been able to alternate between the two of them in, in a way that is quite successful. The defense seems to be, despite the injuries, trying to basically figure out the personnel that they have, and they seem to be in a good place. Their big thing is they kind of have to win out to stay in the playoffs uh, to maybe win the division whereas on the other side the Chargers as we talked about are just an absolute mess they're going to have an interim head coach their star quarterback is injured this team has lost all of its confidence uh, and all of its ability and no one cares anymore it's very hard to see the Chargers being in any way motivated for this game the Bills they're very good at kind of getting fast starts so I think the Bills will get up early maybe 14-0 or 21-0 and this game will just peter out from there because I just don't see the Chargers been able to keep pace with the Buffalo offense on to Sunday early slate Detroit at Minnesota we've gone for Detroit across the board Detroit looked really good this week Goff like went off the running game is looking good particularly against this Minnesota team you'd expect them to use the run game a good bit more Gibbs and Monty Gibbs is obviously getting the the lion share of the stuff at the moment that should work against this defense pretty well whereas on the Minnesota side like we said there's question marks here like we've got Mullins I believe starting a quarterback in this game Detroit's defense which has not been fantastic but was a little bit better last week you got to do something here like this is a spot where you should be able to get some work on. Like, Nick Mullins is not a scary quarterback to be going up against. Disrupt him, cause some issues. I want Detroit to build momentum going into the playoffs. I want them to feel hyped up and ready to rock. And this is the type of game where you can do that. This is not a very good Minnesota team. You can work around their defense. We've seen multiple teams do it already, so just do that. You have many options on, on, on offense. You should be able to do this fairly handily. 
just come in and steamroller, please, Detroit. I want to see a big, ballsy push move, a statement win. That's what we all want to see, uh, but I would probably be on still Like, obviously, I was very negative on Detroit last week, and they proved me wrong. But I'm still going to be a little bit negative here, because I think the, the matchup between these two teams isn't the most positive, I would say, uh, for Detroit. I think in terms of golf versus this defense, Flores, as I've talked about several times before, is playing a very exotic type of defense, very blitz-heavy, and then very men and coverage heavy so it's like almost the two extremes of what you can do on defense but being very good at hiding that and you know Goff has been exposed in the last month or so by these defenses that confuse him and he then makes very perplexing decisions because he's obviously not a threat to run the ball so this is a game where despite the fact the Minnesota run defense is actually pretty good I would definitely lean in on Gibbs lean in on Montgomery just like shove it down their throat do what Buffalo did to Dallas this week if you can and kind of take this team out of contention and like keep the ball for as long as you can and on the other hand like you know the biggest weakness of Mullins is that he's a bit erratic and he's certainly more than happy to throw the better team but Detroit's capacity to get takeaways has been pretty limited and so I'm not sure if they're best placed to take advantage of this I think CJ Gardner-Johnson is either going to be activated this week or next week so that could be the kind of playmaking element that they need to get things up to the next level so even though I think Detroit are a better team and I really want them to beat them up uh, as you say Connor um, I do have a little bit of a feeling that maybe this will be a little bit tougher than expected for them worth flagging this is for the division if the lions win they win the, the first division title in 30 years and so it's a big one the vikings are not going anywhere offensively and defensively look a bit shaky the lions as we as we've seen they they have their days when they just don't turn up but on their best that this offense is untouchable so you got to give them the, the nod here Next up, Green Bay, Carolina. We've gone for Green Bay across the board. Don't watch this football game. Carolina have gotten their second win. What does that really mean? They were not particularly exciting. They managed to score nine points last week. Green Bay have been faltering the last couple of weeks and their defense completely forgot how to do any form of pass coverage. So maybe this is a breakout game for Young for the Carolina side. The Green Bay side, they're still in the race to try and get into the playoffs. So they need to get this win. They need to lock that in. So I'm going to give it to them on the basis of they do have a slightly more talented roster overall. They definitely have the need more than Carolina does. Ronan, your pick of the week is up next. Cleveland at Houston. Myself and Sean have gone for Houston and you've gone for Elite Joe Flacco Cleveland. This is obviously two games well in the playoff hunt with fairly significant flaws, like some very big up and downs this season. And obviously now meeting at a key point of the season so who can seize the momentum to get into that one of those wildcard spots. Houston's case, you know, both sides of the ball, really exciting, really growing elements. The defense last week against Tennessee, albeit against a very limited quarterback, showed some of that momentum building towards a truly dominant display. You know, they shut down Derrick Henry. They kept Levis very scared and he basically kind of got him hurt in the end through all of that. Though There's obviously against Cleveland an offensive line that is missing most likely a number of starters and therefore, you know, there is an opportunity to get there to Joe Flacco and make his life difficult. And so therefore, you will need Joe Flacco to be at his elite veteran in best getting the ball out quickly finding those gaps in the zone and this is obviously such a young defense that you imagine there will be mistakes still there will still be kind of vulnerabilities that uh, an old wily vet like him can can exploit alongside you know Stefanski who's always been a very good play caller even when 
playing with some relatively uh, limited quarterbacks. I think this is, for me, a coin flip game. And so I think, for me, the reason I'm edging for Cleveland is actually the other side of the ball. Hank Stroud, obviously, coming off concussion, we're assuming he'll be playing here. The Cleveland's defense obviously went through a bit of a lull there over the last month or so. Uh, but I think against Chicago, I saw perhaps that they're going to get back to their best that they were early on this season. I think Miles Garrett's back to full health. They have Denzel Ward back there in the secondary. Jeremy Wozukoromoa is starting to make big plays again. And I think that defense, when it's playing at its best, can really make life very, very difficult for a quarterback of any skill, like we see, like Lamar Jackson, who's one of the MVP candidates, have a really tough game against Cleveland earlier this year. And I think Stroud, obviously the ups have been really, really good, but we have seen some games where he struggled, like that Jets game, where he got knocked out, and you'd wonder whether Cleveland can turn this into a bit of an arm wrestle, kind of into a grimy, tough game. And, you know, like if it comes down to the last drive, like I still think Stroud will pull it out and do the magic, but I think Cleveland... I'm just going to give them light edge that they grind it out and get done here. I think that the big issue or the big question here is the Houston defense. I think the, the side of the ball with the Cleveland defense against Stroud, I think it's obviously going to be a very interesting battle, but I think Stroud's going to be able to, as providing the concussion hasn't left any lingering impacts on him, I think he'll be able to put up some points and get them going. The big issue is the experience of Flacco against this young Houston defense. I think it's a very big test for this Houston defense to take that step up. Now, they did quite well against the Titans last week, but that is the Titans, and then the Browns are maybe not a huge step above the Titans offense, but they are a step above, especially with Flacco. You can get you can expect maybe a kind of par on one side of the ball uh, with Stroud kind of holding his own against the Browns, but if Flacco finds ways to exploit this Houston defense and finds the holes, then he could have the sunshine i gotta go with vibes and i gotta go with good feelings and i gotta go with excitement and i gotta pick the team that i want to win because this houston texan team they're so much fun i just want to see them in a playoff game and they have to kind of win games like this if they want to get there so i gotta pick them next up seattle at tennessee ronan we've gone for seattle across the board Seattle, light at the end of the tunnel, they finally get a win during a really tough stretch against the elites of the NFL. They now play Tennessee, who are completely out of contention, and will probably be either starting an injured Levis or Tannehill. And you would hope then that the Seattle defense, which has been very up and down, can get the job done, hold them in check and keep them low scoring. And on the other hand, Gino probably back a quarterback. He was very near to playing against Philly. And with Kenneth Walker playing really well and Jacksonville and Jigba getting better each week and DK Metcalf showing up, you'd hope against a, a very middling Tennessee defense they can get it done. So if Seattle's pass rush can get there and then on the other hand, Geno can look like normal Geno, then you expect Seattle to win. But any game against Tennessee in their home can be a bit of a shit show. So I wouldn't guarantee it by any stretch. Next up, Indy at Atlanta. I've gone for Atlanta and you guys have gone for Indianapolis. It's been announced Heineke's going to be a quarterback here. You know, what does that really mean when Arthur Smith is making the decisions? Because uh, he's... Man, we've already done this, right? Uh, it's just, just, just bizarre. The question is essentially what this Atlanta defense can do against this, this Indianapolis offense. And as we said at the start, the big concern, the reason I'm swinging on Atlanta in this one is just the injuries to Indy. So there's a good chance they're going to be down... Moss and their top wide receivers so like it's a tough ask against like this feels like a game that will just get really annoying and grimy just be kind of a very very annoying like the last one was what nine to seven so maybe this is like 12 nine or something like that obviously the the the, the idea would be like Minshew has had some ups now of late can he have one of his up games or is going to be a, a back down game for Atlanta it's going to be getting Smith out of his own way and letting your weapons do like what they're there to do just feed Bijan and that might be enough in this kind of game Indy obviously are very interested in doing well they are powering up towards the the playoffs and all that kind of stuff and hoping for a wild card but uh, I just think the loss of starting running back and their top wide receiver means that this is a closer match and 
at home with their division still within reaching distance and stuff, I think Atlanta will just manage to keep this one going. The right amount of frustration to potentially just keep Smith in position for another year. That's definitely possible. Like Atlanta have been mercurial. Uh, that actually, that makes them sound more interesting than they are. But yeah, they, they've been up and down, uh, to say the least. And you know, you put Heineken back in there. We've seen Heineken come in on short notice and be explosive, uh, mostly in his previous spot in Washington. And so we know he can do a job there. And they obviously have weapons. They have Pitts. They have London. They have Bijan. So they just need to get out of their own way and just use those guys. And then I think they can at least be a solid offense. And their defense has been pretty good this year. Like I wouldn't say it's been elite, but it's been good. Uh, and they've got some good uh, play on certain games. And Indianapolis could be down to the very bare bones here. If they're missing Pittman, they're missing Moss, it's going to be a whole bunch of backups. And that was good enough to beat the Pittsburgh defense. So don't dismiss Minshew and Co. based on that alone, but it's going to be a bit of a challenge here. And this feels like a game which really important for both teams. Atlanta basically holding on by the, the thinnest of treads to their playoff hopes. Indianapolis well into the both wildcard and division hunt. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Indianapolis, who have been playing really well, and I think Steichen's done an amazing job with that team turning around so quickly. Uh, suddenly have a, a setback here but I hope Indianapolis make it through they're, they're a team that I think are at least worthy of some respect in Atlanta no respect for them I have no faith in the Atlanta Falcons at all like especially Heineke he makes different kinds of mistakes than Ritter or whoever makes but it's like it's Arthur Smith and he, he does stupid things and Atlanta are just I can't I can't have faith in them to win games I think the Colts I think their record you know, I'm starting to believe that they maybe are a team who deserve to be considered, you know, an eight and six type team who has something interesting to say. The injuries will hurt them a little bit, but you gotta pick Minshew over whatever madness the Falcons are gonna try and do on the other side. I gotta I gotta pick the Colts here. Fair enough. Next up, Washington at the Jets. We've gone for Washington across the board. Again, maybe one to avoid this weekend. So Howell's going to be looking to avoid turnovers and see what he can get going against what is still a very good Jets defense. The problem is the Jets offense not only has problems at quarterback, but it's not quite certain which quarterback is going to be starting. We're guessing it's Simeon at this point. We don't know what that's going to look like. And this is not a good defense in Washington, so... Maybe they can put some points up and make this more of a game. This is not as one-sided as all three of us picking Washington would make it appear. We're into the late slate now. Jacksonville at Tampa Bay, a big matchup for some playoff spots. Myself and Ronald have gone for Tampa Bay. Sean's gone from Jacksonville. So obviously we said there's a risk that Lawrence is going to be out for this. So what Jacksonville is going to look like with Beathard under center, who knows? Does Pedersen have a plan to kind of get him going against what's been a fairly decent Tampa Bay defense of late but to be honest the story for Tampa Bay isn't their defense the story is their offense at the moment Baker's been looking really good the last couple of weeks they're getting last week they got a huge performance out of Godwin again who I think he had one big week back in like week four or something like that and then kind of disappeared so like they've got weapons there they've got weapons in the running uh, running back as well it's it's kind of a fun exciting but sloppy team that i can see kind of dropping off or having big games at different times but this is a jacksonville team that is kind of staggering a little bit at this point it doesn't quite know what it is it's got problems at quarterback at the moment because of the injuries it's maybe the loss of the wide receiver means it like they just haven't adjusted well to having to move around their depth chart to deal with the injuries that they've had their defense is fine but not exceptional it's an important game to both sides possibly even more so to jacksonville than anything else but like i don't know i just i'm, I'm feeling a little bit out on jacksonville at the moment particularly with the fact that I, i'm expecting that we're not going to have lawrence in here 
I think form does maybe lean a little bit towards the Buccaneers, especially given that Baker seems to be in a happy place and he's, he's got his pieces working out. Defense is uh, aging, but still has its moments. And certainly they're, they're looking like possibly a cut above the rest of the NFC South teams. But I still I think just talent-wise, they are a bit shy of Jacksonville. I think if, if Lawrence doesn't play, then we kind of have to, to, to back Tampa Bay. But for me, I think... With Lawrence in there, you know, without Christian Kirk, the offense doesn't quite work as well. But, I mean, they, they against the Ravens, for example, they should have, they just forgot to score points, right? They should have scored about about 17 points before the half, but they just didn't bother to getting around to it. I, I think with a few tweaks, and you got to trust Doug Peterson to be able to make those tweaks, with a few tweaks and Lawrence a little bit further along in his recovery, then I think Jacksonville have a talent level that's just above Tampa Bay. Next up, we have Arizona, Chicago, Ronan. We've gone for Chicago across the board the spider-man pointing meme two teams with you know exciting but inconsistent quarterbacks defensive head coaches who have probably done better than expected with the talent available to them look i think we're picking chicago because i think their defense has been a little bit better recently ever since they traded for montez sweat and i think justin fields actually looks like he cares a bit more so we'll, we'll edge them next up is my pick of the week dallas at miami i've gone for miami you boys have gone for dallas in this one yeah, this is an interesting one because Miami, the last little while, it felt a little bit like pretenders. They haven't been quite as good, but then last week they kind of exploded on offense. Dallas have been dominant at times, but like I said, on the road, the road home splits are massive and they are on the road in Miami for this one. So the question obviously is Tua, will he have enough time behind the offensive line to get the balls out? Like this is a good set of pass rushers for Dallas and the Tyreek Hill injury held him out last week he might not be back to 100% uh, I would imagine he'll play this week but he might not be 100% so can they get that going the big thing for, for, for Tua is he's getting the ball out very very quickly which will hopefully help counteract the pass rushers and they've got a decent run game as well so they can try and work from there my concern would be the Miami defense against the Dallas offense because if Dak can have a bounce back game, that could be a problem for them. They have improved. Like since Jalen Ramsey came back from injury, he's doing an incredible job. But overall, they're not the, the most challenging unit. So Dallas obviously will be dead set on wanting to get a win here because, you know, they've kind of just got pantsed by, <laughs> by the Bills and they don't want people to talk about that. And Philly dropped a game. So now they're really, they, they can't afford to drop another one if they want any chance of, of making it to. And unfortunately they have a far easier game with the Giants later on. I'm, I'm kind of amazed with the consistency that this away split has had for Dallas. I'm kind of backing that idea. And also I think Miami... They could win a boat race here is is the big difference. I could see Dallas making a mistake. I, I don't think it's a massive difference between these two teams. I would probably put the spread at less than a touchdown on it. But yeah, I've just got a feeling Miami are hitting a little bit of consistency on that offense. They now know what to do if Tyreek Hill's not there and he might be there next week. So it'll add a little bit more to them. Whereas Dallas, what I have in my head as an archetype for this is I think this could be a little bit like the... Dallas Seattle game but the difference is this this Miami offense I think has the extra gear that if it's just a straight shootout I think I'm backing Miami get to find out which of these teams is the actual fraud both these teams are very good at beating bad teams but have struggled quite a bit with beating anyone of any decency I can definitely see the shootout and if it is a shootout you've got to maybe edge the Dolphins because they do have a little bit more offensive explosiveness but I kind of feel as Dallas despite what happened 
against the Bills. I do think this team, this Dallas team, has kind of taken a step forward this year in terms of figuring out who they are, and they get down to brass tacks. And I think this is kind of situation where, for example, Dan Quinn is going to have some very interesting things that he's going to try and do to the Dolphins' offense, because the Dolphins' offense is explosive, but it's also quite brittle. And if you can find a way to take out their best option, Tua doesn't necessarily have the magicness to make stuff happen when it isn't available to him. Whereas on the other side, I kind of feel like the Dolphins' defense is a step down from the Cowboys' defense, and taking last week a little bit out of the equation, Dak Prescott does seem to have figured out some things offensively, and I think this offense does have, when it clicks, a little bit more uh, of a bounce to it. So I kind of feel like consistency and reliability gives me the Cowboys to win this game. But if it ends up being an explosive shootout, then certainly the Dolphins have to be favored in a game like that. It is a game where, where you know you have two high-paid, elite defensive coordinators. You have Dan Quinn for Dallas. You have Vic Fangio for Miami. And this is where they need to earn their keep, right? I think on the Dallas defense side, you know, we know what the strength is. They have Micah Parsons. They have Demarcus Lawrence. They can absolutely shred you up if two is forced to hold the ball for more than a, a second or two. So the quick pass game will need to be on point uh, to Hill, to Waddle, uh, because we know that if he gives a, an underthrown ball or he's a little bit inaccurate or a little bit pressured, we know that, you know, Deron Bland and co in the Dallas defensive backfield can get picks, can turn that into good field position, turn it into touchdowns, etc. So, you know, that's obviously a really interesting matchup there, especially with the offensive line of Miami being much lower, like, you know, number of injuries, like, both their tackles are injured, so definitely that kind of, that difference between, like, two and three seconds could be huge there for that team. And on the other hand, Fangio's defense, which, you know, started off quite poorly, but which has kind of grown into itself over the course of the season, they're going to go against Buffalo, and I think the big question for them is that that's a defense which traditionally has been good at taking away explosive play, but we've just seen the Buffalo are uh, were able to kind of do it the hard way, do it the old-fashioned way with the run game. So it'll be really interesting to see whether the Fangio defensive line can hold Pollard in check. Can Dallas, after losing last week, by not running the ball, can they run the ball this game and kind of take it to Fangio's defense and learn the lessons from their loss this week? So, you know, I think it's a really interesting matchup. I think we'll see what we, what we get here, but I think, yeah, it could turn into a boat race. That could certainly happen. But if either of these defensive masterminds, quote-unquote, uh, can do their job and, and truly kind of get at these teams, and we've seen both these teams can really flatten out when they're schemed well against, and then that could be the making of, of this game. Next up, we have New England Denver. Sean, we've gone for Denver across the board. Oh, God. If you want to talk about games, it will not be fun. I mean, why didn't they flex this one out of Sunday Night Football? Well, this, this is here, so all the kids will go to bed early on Christmas Well, night. that's the thing. Like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's Sunday Night Football on Christmas Eve, so like no one's going to be watching this. New England, horrible season. Offense, slightly tiny bit better under Zappi, but still, he throws an, he throws more interceptions than Mac Jones does, but that's also a sign that he's getting down the field further. So a little bit more explosive, but also more vulnerable. Denver, on the edge of the playoff picture, gotten to a good place, or, or they've, they've managed to find what works defensively, and a little bit less so on the offense, but Russ and, and co. have managed to, to avoid the mistakes uh, a lot. It'll be a poor game. It will not be a high-scoring game. But I think I trust the Denver defense will be able to shut down the New England offense. And then I trust that Russ will be able to cook up just enough points to, to keep this New England defense quiet. Do not watch this game under any circumstance. Yeah, next up, uh, we're on to Christmas now. Christmas time and our present is three games. We won't say anything. There's, there's one that's definitely good. This one has, has, has a chance. So Vegas at Kansas City. We've gone for Kansas City across the board. On paper, this should be a Kansas City game. There shouldn't be any major issues. But like this is a Vegas team that put up 60 points last week. Shut out the other side for three quarters. 
yes, it was the Chargers. Yes, that was an exploding situation. But like that was an NFL team that they did it against. So the question here is, what is Pierce's defense going to look like? And how is Mahomes and his, frankly, just lack of wide receiver options going to look like in this game? We know that Pacheco has a chance of being back for this game. The Kansas City defense is going to have to really step up and do something in this game because Aidan O'Connell did a cracking job last week, but they didn't have to do that much in it. In previous games, he hasn't looked like a 60-point quarterback. We'll put it that way. So hopefully the KC defense can make him look like he did in other weeks. We are picking KC here. I wouldn't put it outside the realms of possibility that the Vegas team from last week turns up with swagger. They always play Chiefs hard at home because it's always a huge game for them the last kind of number of years. So I don't discount it. We're going Kansas City Chiefs, but I won't lie. I'm significantly more afraid of this now than I was whenever they still had McDaniels as the head coach. The Giants are going to travel up to Philly and try and knock them off. You couldn't ask for a better time to be taken on this Philly team, but do we think they have a chance? Well, it's the question of whether or not this Giants, this DeVito experiment, which somehow managed to, it was like a grizzly bear trying to be a ballerina or something. It was They were holding up for a while, but eventually the balance was going to fall and they were, they were going to be caught out. This Giants team is not good, but they, they are finding ways to, to score enough points occasionally. And against the Philly team, which is in a little bit of trouble, uh, you think they, mu- they might be able to do something to them. And certainly if the Giants defense starts doing something interesting to the Eagles offense early on and stifles them, and they kind of grind them out, then certainly I can see the way the Giants can win. But I think the talent differential here is, it's mind-boggling how much more talented the Eagles side is than the Giants side. And even though they're not quite clicking as much as they did last year, and even though maybe the coaching questions need to be asked about the coaching and certainly about the level of execution of individual players, I think Philly are going to find a way to win this game. Yeah, and we've got Philly across the board there. And finally, Sean, uh, your pick of the week is the late game on Christmas, Baltimore at San Francisco. We've gone for San Francisco across the board. I was actually kind of close on this one, but tell us about it. Yeah, it's it's two really good teams coached really well very solid on both sides of the ball in very nice sets of form i think it's just going to be a cracking game i really i I think this is going to be in terms of the quality of the game probably the best game that we've seen this year and certainly there's been a little bit of a disappointment when in when the really big games have happened this year you think about san francisco against dallas or san francisco against uh, the eagles they were kind of blowouts we haven't yet to see two really good teams kind of going back and forth at, at a high level and given where both these teams are I, I would expect to have that so so taking it you know within the four units you've got the the Lamar Jackson offense the expansion of how things are going Lamar looks honestly like if he plays as well as he doing for the next three weeks he could he could sneak into winning the MVP that's kind of where he is they've got the explosiveness of Zay Flowers and other things going on offensively the defense you know always all John Harbaugh defenses are quite high level they're they're very smart they're very talented that they will do exciting things. So the Baltimore are in a very good place on both sides of the ball. I think, though, they, they're just not quite at the level. I am back on my San Francisco horse. I don't think they're quite at the level that the 49ers are. The 49ers are a 
terrifyingly good team when they're when they're in the mood and when they're in form and they certainly sealed that they had that kind of the mid-season you know thing where they went missing for three weeks for some reason but they're back and and everyone's healthy and they just look unstoppable like the offense you know Purdy's back to being the the game manager he's making the opportunities you've got CMC who will kill you you've got Debo you've got Ayuk you've got Kittle they've got so many options on the offensive side that it's just so difficult even for an elite defense like Baltimore to be able to stop all of these things. I don't think anyone, when all these pieces have been healthy and clicking, nobody has been able to stop this team scoring like 40 points. That's going to be a big challenge. And then you've got the San Francisco defense, which is not only well coached, or maybe not quite to the level of coaching that the offensive is, but it's got so many great pieces. You've got, you've got Fred Warner. Uh, you've got all the other uh, guys. Is, is it Young that they, they picked up as well? They've got just a lot of explosiveness and hard-hitting uh, and interesting stuff. So I think we're going to see a lot of interesting plays. We're going to see a lot of back and forth. We're going to see a lot of talent on display. As much as I think Lamar is on fantastic form and the, the Ravens are in a really good place offensively, I'm blown away by how good the 49ers are at the moment. And they can just destroy it. They can be, they can be 28-0 up on you and you won't even have realized it. That's how good they are. So I got to vote for San Fran because I think they're the best team in the NFL. But I, I this game is going to be a great game. No, I think I think it's going to be a very exciting game. I think obviously this is one that if Baltimore drop a game, it makes it a little bit more interesting in the AFC for playoff seeding. San Francisco, obviously, if they drop it, would also make it a little bit more interesting in the NFC. So either way, we're going to have a little bit more of a spicy element added into the playoff races for both sides. I think it's a good test as well for both these teams, given this will be San Francisco taking on probably one of the better defenses that's around the NFL this year so it'll be a bit of a more of a test for them versus for Baltimore similarly this is one of the stronger defenses they'll have taken on so it'll be kind of it'll be an interesting measuring stick and I think will probably inform what the team's decide they need to kind of focus in on in the move into the playoff race and having to play against the upper tier I think you you guys have covered it mostly I think the biggest thing is that it's really I think to get a game like this, obviously cross-conference, so we wouldn't be seeing them against the playoffs unless they meet public Super Bowl, which is quite possible, and obviously a rematch of a Super Bowl from relatively recent history, is a really good gut check of like these two teams. We both really like them. Uh, I'm probably more on the Sean side. I think San Francisco, uh, for me, they've convinced me that they're probably the best team in the NFL, and Baltimore, I feel their highs are really, really high, but I think the consistency is a little bit off, so that's why I'm willing to get edge it towards San Francisco. But I think both these quarterbacks, both these offenses get really good tests against some really good defenses. I think after this game, we'll hopefully have a really good idea of what, well, potentially a Super Bowl preview, but more importantly, an idea of like the kind of small questions we have. Like, is Brock Purdy genuinely an MVP super quarterback candidate? Is Lamar able to carry this kind of mercurial offense into being a genuine, like elite offense? We'll have a better idea about both those teams based on this huge test on Christmas night. So that'll wrap us up for this week. I suppose you're already up for your spending your Christmas, right, Ronan? Yep. So Dan and Calvin, just relax, eat a lot of uh, dark chocolate Ferrero Rocher and uh, whatever <laughs> else is available. And uh, yeah, put the once everyone else has gone to bed, put on the NFL on the big screen in the living room. <laughs> Very nice. good. Yeah, I'll be heading up to Donegal now on Friday and then we'll be up there for a bit and then heading down to Kerry then on uh, Stevens' day and... Yeah, no, should should be nice. Good to see all the fam and everything. So it'll be good fun. And yourself, Sean, you're 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 getting your Christmas this year. So when are you when are you traveling? So we're going to be traveling Friday as well. We're going to go to Athlone Friday and then maybe a day and a half in Athlone 
go up to Donegal Sunday, do the week there, and then come back into the second week uh, in Athlone. So it's it's very rare for a spouse of a doctor to have two weeks in a row like this to enjoy at Christmas. So we're going to make the most of it. It probably won't happen again that Sarah will get this much time off in a row. Um, but yeah, we're going to we're going to do the we're going to do the Christmas with the in-laws thing, which will be interesting. Uh, then back to my home for Sarah having Christmas with the in-laws or New Year's. Very be good. A good break. I suppose it'll wrap us up for now. It's bye for myself, bye from Fitz, bye, bye from Sean. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Merry Christmas and thanks for listening.